was a few missing last Sunday uh, testimonies, so we will have those at this time before the message. These verses in Ephesians, uh, in my studying this week, stood out to me. Uh, Paul's admission to the church of Ephesus. Familiar verses, but they, I guess I just marveled the word of God. I can time and time again uh, speak to you in a way that maybe it's happened before. These are the words that Paul wrote. He said, For this cause I bow my, I bow my knees unto the Father, or Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which path is knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Paul was humbled. He says, I bow my knee. And I guess that's my feeling this morning as I think of uh, needs to be our, our attitude before Christ always in humility. Uh, and verse 16 talks about riches, uh, how rich we are, how much we've been blessed. It talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts being rooted and grounded in love, and that certainly needs to be our testimony, our experience in Christ and in a brotherhood. Verse 18 particularly, you know, artists and painters talk about three-dimensional. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but it talks about four dimensions there. Three dimensions is referred to as light, light. Here this is four dimensions. What's that like? It's beyond comprehension. Life in Christ is beyond comprehension, I believe. And uh, so that's my desire, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, to be filled with fullness of God. How can we be filled with the fullness of God? It's uh, by having His Spirit within us. And the last verse there, I'll let Him be glory in the church. And that's my desire this morning, that God be glorified in His church through us, through the church of Christ. Uh, I'm going to appreciate the brotherhood here and uh, encourage Him to be into my life. My desire is to uh, partake of communion. Well, I'm really glad to be here this morning, and uh, I appreciate each one of you. And uh, as far as I know, peace with God and man, and then Eric and Lord. And uh, I appreciate the ministry here. I really appreciate what you guys do, and I'm to be committed to praying for you. And uh, I encourage your prayers, especially.
Okay, thank you for those testimonies. Um, Brother Pete has consented to bring the message this morning. So, Brother Pete, if you would come up. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for... This time here together, thank you for your word. And I pray a special blessing on Brother Pete as he shares with us. I pray you would touch our hearts with your truth Amen. and that we would draw all of us closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Greetings in the name of Jesus. It is indeed a blessing to be back here again. I Yesterday... Later afternoon, as we were south of Minneapolis, coming toward Rochester, I said to Joanne, "This, this, this is this is just right, <laughs> and uh, so good to be back here with with all of you this morning. We've been looking forward to this time and being here, and uh, also next weekend, uh, Lord willing, I will be gone this week during the week of." visiting um, with fall workshops of Christian Life. Joanne is going to be staying here with Ryan's. And uh, be back here this next weekend then because the, the trip comes. That's the advantage I have of being able to be the planner of these things. And so I can schedule uh, things a bit accordingly. And we're thankful also that the border officials allowed us over the last number of months been having some serious uh, situations with them as, as it relates to uh, for whom do I work, Christian Light of Canada or Christian Light in Harrisonburg, Virginia and since I'm not American uh, that seems to be a real issue of working in the United States and, and uh, so I, I've, been, I've been asked a lot of questions like quite a few times now already and, and the Lord was, was good and, and it worked out, we could we could be here. And I guess it's those uncertainties that makes one just draw to the Lord and just, Lord, Father, this is your work and, and we need to just trust that, that you're going to work things out. <laughs> and it's that it, we don't understand all these things. We don't know why. And uh, but we're so glad that 
that God is in charge and uh, we want to be faithful to that. We also do realize that we have an enemy and that uh, a lot of the things that, that definitely the, the work of building the kingdom of God is, is, is not in his program. The only thing that's part of his program is to work against that and uh, we sense that as well. We'd like to look at um, just a very elementary message this morning about communion. I've entitled it, This Do in Remembrance of Me. In a way, I would like to be at Nig Creek this morning, the today. Nig Creek is a, is a community of Russian Pentecostal believers that live a communal life about an hour northwest of Fort St. John, northern British Columbia. These have become dear friends of us through the work of Christian Light Education since they use uh, these materials in their schools. This is a group of very Anabaptist brethren. Um, they are Russian Pentecostal, so they have some elements there where we would not see eye to eye in their, some of their practices. However, they are, they are, I have sensed them to be one at heart in, in many, many ways with where we would be at as far as beliefs, as far as practice. They, they do live a communal lifestyle similar to the Hutterite people. They went through severe persecution in the Soviet Union uh, under communism. There's a book written about them. It's very difficult to get. You might still be able to get it online. It's called Siberian Miracle. It's a very and but you can download it free. I'm not advocate, but Joanne and I are reading it that way, uh, just on on a on a download it, and it's a very interesting story about uh, God working in their lives. The reason I like to be there today is today they have what they call Dunkfest. It's a, a, a festival of Thanksgiving that they always have the first Sunday of October. And it is a, it is a celebration in, or a, co a commemoration in their churches. And there are actually several groups now ready because of size. They're all meeting together at Nick Creek today for worship. And, of course, there's meals, of course, then too. But throughout the afternoon and evening, and I understand it goes rather late, they will have brothers testifying and sharing their story of how God worked through them and worked in their lives. They do not want their children and their young people to forget who they are, why they are who they are, why they are where they are. And it is a remembrance of of God's faithfulness and it's a recounting of those of that story again and again and there's enough brothers in in their setting enough sisters in their setting there are probably four or five hundred people by now almost um, that there's a lot of stories to tell and they still have brethren who are re more recently coming out of Russia and some of those countries and even out of Areas where today there is persecution and they're remembering the workings of God. And uh, we're here today to remember as well. 
not remember difficulties we've gone through, but to remember what Jesus has done for us. We're here to reflect on that. And I'd like to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. This is the passage on communion. And likely Brother Dennis will be quoting some of this, or at least phrases from this, this uh, passage as we proceed. I'd like to read the entire context of this, though, because of some of the same things that it says. I'd like to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 20, and then go to the end of the chapter. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And Paul is addressing the Corinthian church for some very disorderly behavior and observances that they're having in regards to the Lord's Supper, which in the early church's era likely was done in a communal meal as well, or at least center. it, it, it had that uh, as part of it. The communion service was held in that context. Verse 21, For in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another one is drunken. What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ, of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home that ye come not together into condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. I like to look at six things, seven things, that we particularly want to remember this morning. And I'm going to have them in the context as if Jesus is telling us, remember this. The first one is, remember that I died for you. Remember that Jesus died for me. And children, I'll be talking to you throughout this communion, uh, this message as well. So I'm not going to call you up front today, but I, I, I want you to, to pay attention and because I'll be, I'll be sharing some of these things. Uh, hopefully that you can also get some of the meaning out of that. The first one is remember that I, or Jesus, died for you. This morning we are going to be sharing from a common loaf and a common cup which represents Christ's broken body, Christ's shed blood. Man was a sinner 
and man needed help. Sacrifice was the only way in which man's broken relationship with God could be restored. That with that fellowship that sin, Satan and sin had marred in the Garden of Eden, that that could again somehow be brought together so that man and God could, could, uh, could relate again on, on a term that a holy God could accept. And sacrifice was the only way. The scripture tells us without the shedding of blood there is no remission. There is no way of clearing the guilt, of, of breaking down what sin had divided. The only way was blood needed to be shed that man could be restored with God. That man could have a clean, a clean heart so that a holy God could again communicate with his creature, the one he had made, man. And in the Old Testament, God designed a temporary system of sacrificial um, observances. And I, I wonder sometimes how many thousands and maybe even millions of gallons of blood were shed over those years as sacrifice as offerings of praise as sin offering the different offerings that were done that animals are just needed to to give their life so that a temporary kind of relationship could exist between God and man But God had promised that there will come one. He will send one. There will be one who will do this sacrifice once for all. And it will be perfect, it will be complete. And after that there will be no need of ever blood being shed again. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God's only Son, God Himself, was going to be that remedy. And that's prophesied in many places in the Old Testament. We read especially in Isaiah 53 how Jesus would, the Messiah would be as a lamb slaughtered innocently. But it would be for the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And so Jesus came and his earthly mission to us particularly was to restore man to God through the gift of his life through sacrifice. This was not that, yes, there were people who wanted relationship with God, but generally mankind was indifferent toward God and wanted to go his own way. And the scripture tells us that while we were sinners, really enemies of the cross of Christ, Romans 5.8 tells us, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't come on man's behalf because of man's request. Jesus came because God wanted relationship restored. There were those people in the Old Testament already too, yes, who did want relationship with God. But by and large, 
man who had discarded the ways of God and wanted to go his own way and was in the clutches of sin and Satan where we all were was really not that interesting. But God wanted relationship restored. God wanted a way made open. And so Jesus came. And communion is based is one of the main elements of communion is where we show forth Christ's death. We, di we display, we commemorate. I really don't care for the word celebrate in this situation. Yes, it is with joy. It is, it is we're thankful. But it, it, it's, it's not just some light-hearted kind of a thing. It is, it is something that has deep reflection. There's a, there's a deep emotion that comes with this of, of us as we look back at what Jesus did for us. I remember as a when I was first baptized and then took part in communion those early, early years in, in this church setting that we then came from. Communion was a very solemn time. And uh, it was a long service and uh, it was very serious and uh, the only emotion were tears. <laughs> There was a there's a fair bit of movement of, in that in that regard of heart, especially as a story of of Christ's death and resurrection. Not so much the resurrection, but the death of Christ would be what was told every time. It was always told. Our bishop would would always tell that story. And that's, and of course, it took a, took a while to do that. But he would go through it piece by piece, explaining how, why. And it was, it was a moving experience, it really was. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but I, I do feel it is worth, it is worth what Jesus did for us, that we, that we don't just say he died for us, but that we go, and I like to use Mark's gospel as a as an opportunity to just relate the death of Christ of course and then the spiritual significance that comes with that Mark's gospel chapter 14 I'll start at verse 26 now I'm not going to read the entire thing for because of time but I like to read excerpts of this, beginning at verse 26 of Mark 14. And when they had sung a hymn, this is after, after they had had the communion service there, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this day, even in this night before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he had spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee any wise. Likewise also said they all. 
And they came to a place which was called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death, tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that it be possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. The question was asked in Sunday school, would we die for another? Jesus wrestled with that. He wrestled with that. And of course, he wrestled with that with a significance that you and I never would be able to because we know that the death of Jesus was not just for a friend. The spiritual significance of the death of Christ and I believe that Satan also knew at least to some degree what was at stake. And there was a battle, a serious spiritual battle going on. Let us go on. And he cometh and he findeth them sleeping, verse 37, and saith unto them, Peter, Simon, Sleepest thou, couldst thou not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. Their eyes were heavy, neither wist they what to answer. And he cometh to them the third time and saith unto them, Sleep ye on now, and take your rest. It is enough, the Lord hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed in, by, into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And other Gospels also record that, that the prayer of Jesus was with the agony that actually there were, there, were tea, there were blood drops. And an angel came and ministered to him. <coughs> And immediately while he yet spake cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and scribes and elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway and said and to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. What terrible hypocrisy. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And of course, we sense it was Peter. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against the thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching. And ye took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and elders and scribes. And then it talks about the denial that Peter had toward the Lord. I'm not going to read all of that. And it talks about how he was examined by the high priest. There was all these, all these witnesses that didn't agree. And then, in the high, verse 16, the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, What need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they all condemned them to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to send him prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. The rest of that chapter then talks about the denial of Peter. Let's go to chapter 15. And straightway in the morning when the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered, Said unto them, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast he released unto them a prisoner whomsoever they desired. There was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection, and the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I do with him, which is whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried aloud again, out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, What, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to contend the people, released Barabbas unto them, delivered Jesus to be crucified when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away in the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. All in mockery. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put on his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And we sense that he stumbled and fell also and couldn't carry it himself and that there were women who were weeping as well and he comforted them as well as Jesus went to Calvary. Verse 22 and they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, and he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take, and it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled with saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging with their, he their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest a temple and buildest in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said unto among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified him reviled him. With him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land unto the ninth hour. And the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, 
being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. When the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man is the Son of God. We'll read that far. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so children, this morning, those that are baptized members here are going to share a little piece of bread and drink from a cup. And the reason is we are remembering that Jesus gave his body and his body was, was crushed, his body was, was beaten, his bro- they, they hurt Jesus tremendously. But, Je- but Jesus allowed this to happen for us so that we could be saved. And we'll drink from a cup. That, that by that we remember the blood of Christ. Jesus' blood flowed out of him as he died. As he was beaten and so on. And it flowed out of him. And that it is through that blood that Jesus gave for us. He gave his life. It is that blood through which we can have clean hearts. It is through that blood that God and, 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 and Christian people can again be friends. And that God and Christian and those that believe in God can have can have a relationship together, and we we're here to remember that it isn't blood and it isn't Christ's body that we eat and drink. No, the bread and the cup are just symbols. They just represent. We just use those as a rem- as as to remember that Jesus did this for us. Let us quickly go on. The second thing that we want to remember this morning, Jesus tells us, remember that I have made a new covenant. Jesus said in our text, says this is the covenant. That verse 25, this cup is the new testament in my blood. And that is a quote also from the other gospels. It is a, that Jesus said, I am instituting a new covenant. We looked at the whole thing of covenant relationship a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Covenant is not something that is just temporary. Covenant is something that is permanent, that is, that is lasting. And Jesus, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, is, is the firm foundation of covenant <coughs> that God has made with us. In the Old Testament it was circumcision that by which the Jewish people were covenanted to a Jehovah God. To a literal Israel. To a literal people. And dear ones, it is the blood of Christ that we, as represented as we, as we share in communion with the cup. That is the covenant that Christ has made with us and we remember that this morning. For this is my blood of the New Testament which was shed for, the, for many for the remission of sins. 
And it shares with us not that we're just an external people who have a relationship with God, but rather that is there's an internal spiritual people. Regardless of what language we speak, what nationality we have, of what location we live, those that are children of God that have accepted the sacrifice of Christ and are walking in obedience to the Lord. They are part of this inner spiritual people. Yes, there is an outer life that goes with that. But we are bound. We have, Christ has made covenant with us. It's something permanent. A new covenant. Thirdly, Jesus is telling us, remember that you are to love and serve others. After the communion service, we're going to have a foot washing service. Now, I don't want to go into that. One of the other brethren will share on that. But Jesus did tell us, as in that same context as the foot washing service, after that was done, Jesus gave some more explanation. And Jesus did say in John 13, 34 and 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. The love that Jesus has shown to us has been in sacrifice, it's been in service, has been in giving. <coughs> and we are here this morning to remember our obligation to one another. To love and to serve. One can serve without love but dear ones, you cannot love without serving. And children, that is, that is why we wash feet. It is a reminder to us. No, we, I'm sure all of us came with clean feet this morning. But it is a reminder to us of how we are to serve each other. And how we are to allow others to serve us. And we do this because of love. That the love of Jesus is in our hearts. And because of that we are willing to share. We are willing to serve. And the, and the foot washing service is just a reminder. of this is how we treat each other. Not just this morning. This is how we treat each other in life. Fourthly, Jesus is telling us, remember that you are part of brotherhood. I intentionally read the entire accounts of the communion here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It is my understanding of what, Je what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 about communion that there was a, dis a concern, a deep concern about the disorderly observation of communion in the Corinthian church. And as I said before, the communion service in the, in the early uh, church period was in the context of a meal and then the communion was served as part of that. I don't know exactly how they did that, but that seems to, it was a love feast kind of a situation. But it seems that what was happening in Corinth is, what, is that people would come and they would, 
and it was a very disorderly meal. It would be a little bit as if we would have a carrion dinner and there were some and some people would just go to and, and eat everything and, and, and not leave anything for somebody else. And then later on have communion. And Paul says that's that's not the right spirit. That's not how we treat each other. That's not what communion is all about. Paul says there are some people that are feasting and others that go hungry. And Paul tells them, consider one another. Be courteous to each other. He says, I don't praise you for how you're handling this at all. You're making differences between people. Maybe some of those that were richer and some of that were poorer. And Paul gives explicit directions. You wait for one another. <coughs> and if you're really that hungry, then eat at home. Don't come and, and, <coughs> and make a disorderly kind of observ observance of something that's supposed to have spiritual significance. Don't do that. And Paul does talk about not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 29. I don't know what that all means. I will admit that. Mm. Definitely, I believe it does talk that we need to take, and we're going to look at that, serious self-examination. And that we, that we have a right perspective of, of the sacrifice of Christ and in as far as giving his body and giving his blood. But I also ask the question, <coughs> does this phrase also give to us indication that we need to discern the Lord's body, that which is present among his people? We are the Lord's body in that regard, as, as his children. It is not... It is not necessarily just the bread and the juice that represent Christ's body and blood that, we, that we're looking at here. It is also that we are tied together in this and that this is brotherhood. That we all belong to this. Juice is not individual grapes, it's crushed together. Bread is not just individual kernels of wheat, it's crushed together. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 16, and 17 tells us that we being many are one bread and one body. I'm burdened today, not so much here, but from what I see in many, in many churches already, where the idea is communion is basically coming together as an assembly and each one basically has communion with God. And it's just nice that the rest of you are here too to do it. That may sound a little indifferent. But it's pretty well getting to that point in many settings. Brothers, if that's what, and sisters, if that's what communion is, then a large part of communion has been lost. Then we might as well just have it at our own kitchen table. If all it is is to remember Christ's suffering and death. And I'm not, I don't want to minimize that. It's not. 
That is the significant part. But dear ones, the fact that Christ died for us <coughs> and He gave His blood does something to us as a group, does it not? It better. It better. Communion is a representation of body life as it's represented in bread and juice that has been ground and crushed and, and molded together into one. A harmony, a unity, an identity, a submission one to another, not just a mere tolerance and acceptance of all our variations. Children, that's why. That's why not just anybody communes. It's those that have identified with the, with the church and that are in harmony with the church. We're not saying that there are no other Christians, that this, these are the only ones. No. But we, we have covenanted together. We belong to each other. And we're here to remind ourselves, I'm here to remind myself that I have brothers and sisters. That I'm responsible to and I'm responsible for. There's a bond. And we, we belong. And so we're committed to each other. Number five. Oh my, I'm going very late here already. Remember, we must be worthy. Self-examination is important, and that has been taken care of in council meeting already. Community is not a time to just be indifferent and careless about my life and about my attitudes. And definitely each day, communion is really a time which I need to, I should especially focus on, but really we should be ready to commune at any time and our lives should always be in that kind of an order. Am I worthy? Is there a holiness of heart? Is there a holiness of relationship? Is there a holiness of my loyalty? And if I truly examine myself, that will permit me to also be accountable to my brothers. Number six. Remember, Jesus says, I will return. Our text tells us we do this till he come. Dear ones, one day there will be a communion service and I believe that will be a celebration. It won't be lighthearted. No. But that, that, that will be a communion service like no other. It will be eternal It'll be wonderful. It'll be perfect. And the Lamb will be physically present. And we meet and commemorate in anticipation of that. Christ's death was not the final accomplishment. Him bringing his children home to glory. That will be. Yes, here we have a remembrance. Here we have a commemoration. There we will have a worshipful celebration. And lastly, 
I believe that Jesus is telling us, remember, my love for you is constant. I was moved again at which, what it says in John 13 verse 1 with the part of the foot washing service where it says Jesus loved them unto the end. Even the disciples that were quarreling as to who was more important. Even the disciples who were promising they would be loyal and Jesus knew they wouldn't be. Even the disciple who promised he will never deny Christ and he did. Even the disciples that all ran away from him Jesus walked to the cross alone. He loved them unto the end. And so we're here to remember this morning, Jesus loves me, this I know. And because he loves me, I love him too. May God bless us as we remember.